You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. That Sam, have mercy on me, my God, have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. The story of this song is King David had found himself or found himself in a very difficult situation. The title says for the director of music to the tune of Do Not Destroy of David a Mictam when he had fled from Saul into the cave. The situation is described in 1 Samuel 22 and 23, 21 and 22 and 23. 1 Samuel 22, 1 says this, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. He was being pursued by King Saul. For those of you who don't know the situation, uh, David had become a hero in Israel. The king was King Saul. He had led worship. He was the leader of the army. And he was in a position of great authority, great power, great wealth. And he went from that to being a hunted criminal. From someone who led worship to being a refugee. From someone who was, had crowds singing his praise, just like at the Commonwealth Games, people singing the praise of the top athletes, to now being isolated and alone and feeling alone and feeling really gloomy. And I know that for many of us, for some of you anyway, right now, life is pretty good. Sun's been shining all week. Things are going not too bad. You've been on holiday. You've got a bit of rest. Um, Your bank account is plus and you're in relatively good health. Spiritually, you're encouraged. I, I don't mean to be gloomy, but this song is for you as well. Because I entitled it, When Disaster Strikes, because disaster will strike. And there are some of you for whom it is almost the very opposite of that. That things are not going well, your bank account is in the red, your health is not great, you're struggling spiritually, you feel somewhat isolated, somewhat alone, somewhat frustrated, somewhat angry. When you hear the expression, From the New Testament, do not be weary in well-doing. You know what that weariness is. So what do we do when we're in that situation? Well, he turns to God. It is incredible how little we pray and how often God uses hard circumstances to drive us to prayer. So what I want to do is I want to look at this psalm in the light of the cross and in the light of our own circumstances. And we'll look at the first few verses and then maybe uh, sing them if we found them. If not, we'll just go to sing the last part at the end. Firstly, in verses 1 to 3, there's a confidence in God's mercy. Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. He calls God, I cry out to God 
Most High. Now, that doesn't mean that God is remote. It does mean that God is above our circumstances and is not confused by our circumstances and knows our circumstances. I had the, the privilege uh, in my own holiday of being in London and going to see Les Mis, Les Miserables. You, you have to go see Les Miserables. You've got to like, make that a pilgrimage. It's just so wonderful. Even the really corny film version is worth seeing. Um, the book is just miles. You've got to read the book. The book is just one of the best books. Victor Hugo's, this is one of the best books you'll ever read. But the thing that astounds me is that in a culture which seeks to exclude God in so many ways, like airbrushes God out of our culture. I mean, you saw the Commonwealth Games ceremony. I'll have to be careful what I say, because uh, lots of people had lots of different ideas about it, and some of you loved it, and some of you had children or whatever involved in it, and all that was great, and the fun and all the rest of it was great. But you've got to admit, the first 10, 15 minutes was totally naff, wasn't it? Uh, it maybe it was ironic parody, but it, I don't know. But the sad thing was, it was meant to be a celebration of Scotland's history and all that's good about Scotland. Not once, not once was Christianity mentioned. Airbrushed out completely. Now, whatever you say, that's completely ludicrous. That's like having a history of Israel without mentioning Judaism. It just, it was insane that that was the case. But that's what happens. We live in a culture where things are airbrushed out. And I love the fact that in the heart of that culture, in the middle of the West End of London... There is a musical which 65 million people have seen, which is about as gospel as you're going to get. Even though, even, even, that, even in that musical, they cut out a lot of the religious stuff in the book, it's still, it's so in the book that, it's, that it has to be there. And uh, I won't go into the whole story for you, but there's one incredible song, Bring Him Home, which everyone likes to sing on talent shows which I don't think you can sing unless you know God, really. And it is, for me, it's an incredibly emotional song to hear it being sung, and it was sung beautifully. And you know the opening line, many of you will know it, God on high, hear my prayer. In my need, you've always been there. And the way that it's sung, that's exactly what's happening in this psalm. David is in despair. He's in the cave, and he's calling out to God, God on high, hear my prayer. And he says, this God is merciful. He says that this God has love and uh, faithfulness. He's saying that when the sun shines, God is faithful. When it's a storm, God is still faithful. David is saying that when he was in the palace and people were singing his praises, God was faithful. And when he's in the cave and people are trying to kill him, God is faithful. I sometimes think that our circumstances, the way that we feel, is a bit like uh, the Har on the east coast of Scotland. Now, I realize that some of you here come from a different culture. And those of you who are American or English have had to learn this language. But that thing that comes in off the sea, like we were heading to St. Andrews this week, and you could see it, there's just this black, black cloud coming in, and the temperature, we're cycling, um, I know this is a grotesque image, but we're myself and Emma Jane were cycling, and I was topless because I was so hot and sweating, and so on. I wanted to have a clean shirt when I got there. I know it's a horrific image, but hang with it. And I said to Emma Jane, five minutes, you're going to need to put your jacket on, 
Because we could see the hard just rolling in off the sea. And within five minutes, the temperature dropped 10 degrees. And it's just dark and miserable compared to what it had been. Sometimes in our life, that's exactly what happens. There's stuff that comes in that it's like a cloud that comes over us. But you see, when the har came in, the sun was still shining. It's just the har got in the way. When our circumstances are horrendous, God is still loving and God is still faithful. It's just our circumstances obscure that. And David uses this beautiful image of taking refuge, not in a cave, but under God's wings. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings. It's a bit like, uh, if you can see over there, have a chance, have a look at that later. Um, Davy McLeod, uh, one of our deacons here, is a fabulous artist. He's just putting together an art exhibition, and there's just a couple of his paintings up at the moment. But that one there of the, the, the hawk, it's just, for me, it, it, it's an incredible image. These wings are incredibly powerful, protecting. And that's the idea that David has of God, that he is watching over him, that he is being sheltered under the shadow of his wings, and that he's saying to anyone, you touch my children if you dare. That's the image he has. And he gets an image. It's an image that comes from his history, comes from his great-grandmother, Ruth. You know the story of Ruth and Boaz. Ruth 2 verse 12, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. That's the first place we go when we are in trouble, when the day of disaster comes. We go and shelter under God's mercy. There is a storm. There's a reality here. You can't pretend that the storm is not happening. It's like yesterday. We came down to go to the DCA, and, and it was just, you know, that, I don't know if any of you were caught in that downpour. It's just started chucking it down. And you could see the sort of insensible, intelligent people and the slightly insane people, because the sensible, intelligent people went, uh-oh, it's raining. Umbrellas up or go in the doorway. The slightly insane people went, we came out, it was beautiful sunshine, we've got shorts and t-shirts, we're going to carry on. And they got themselves absolutely saturated. So one guy just drew it with, with it. And you think, why? He was like, oh, it's not raining, it's just a wee shower. Sometimes you get Christians who bad things start happening, difficult things start happening, and they kind of shut their eyes and say, it's okay, it's okay, everything's going to be okay, everything will be all right, it'll just, it's just working out. Whereas in reality, we have to face up to reality that sometimes things are really, really tough. And we can't make them go away, but we can shelter under the wings of God. I cry out to God Most High, to God who vindicates me. Now I want to think of this in the light of the cross as we go on. And Psalm 22, I just want to juxtaposition this with Psalm 22. And in Psalm 22, at the beginning of this psalm, this is the psalm that Jesus quoted on the cross. So these are the words of Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. Some people see, have dared to suggest that that's Jesus giving up his faith in God. No, it's not. Not at all. It's the very opposite. He's saying, my God, my God. He feels forsaken. There's no longer 
the dove being sent saying, this is my beloved son, with him I am well pleased. He feels forsaken because of the burden and the pressure and the sin that he is carrying. But he still cries out to God. Some people have this idea that when Christ was on the cross, they say it's horrible because it's like God sacrificing his son and this is God hating his son. No, God hates our sin and his wrath is on our sin and his son bears our sin, but he doesn't hate his son. You can, I, 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 would, I would say this, I would say he loves his son, if you like, all the more because he is carrying our sin. He is pouring out his wrath on him, not because he's his son, but because he's become the sin-bearer. And even as the sin-bearer, he still has confidence in the mercy of God. Verses 4 and 5 of Psalm 57, I am in the midst of lions. I am forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Now, this is why I love the reality of the Psalms, because we've just had a, a bit where David says, I, I rejoice in your love. I rejoice in your faithfulness. I shelter under the shadow of your wings. Isn't that great? And then he says, I'm surrounded by lions. I'm surrounded by ravenous beasts. His confidence in God is immediately challenged by the circumstances he faced, especially the enmity of human beings. He is in the lion's den, the arrows, the words, the tongues, the speech. In, in, in the Psalms, people's words are used all the time as they're attacking me with this, they're saying this about me, they're getting me here. It's why in the New Testament, the New Testament church, gossip and bitterness and anger and temper and lies and slander and blasphemy are mentioned so many times, the sins of the tongue. He lies amongst ravenous beasts, and so do we. Now, we are not like the Christians in Mozo. Well, they're not there anymore. We're not like those who have seen this week men who glory in beheading people in the name of Allah. There's a man uh, on the news this week from Australia, born and bred in Australia, as there have been people who've been born and bred in this country who speak with British accents, who have been educated in British schools, and boasting about how many people they are going to behead. That's an, that's a, an enmity that is extraordinary. We're not in that. But there are other more subtle forms of enmity that we face. The devil is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, and he uses people in many different ways. And sometimes you know what this means. You know that it's not the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, but it's the arrows of people who are close to you. It's the arrows of one-time friends. It's the arrows of fellow professing Christians that get under your skin, that cut into your soul and into your spirit, and you're just overwhelmed. You don't know how to cope. They never said to you it was going to be like this when you became a Christian. Challenged 
by man's enmity, confident in God's mercy. I love how, by the way, in verse 5, that he turns immediately to prayer when faced with this and cries to the exalted God, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. In our hubris, human beings sometimes talk as though God is dead. It is not that God is dead. It is that man is blind. On the screen at the Olympic Games ceremony, I think the words that came up at one point were humanity, equality, and destiny. And what it was saying is, it was really saying, we're God. We can determine things. We can determine our own destiny. It's arrogance and hubris of the worst kind. And the psalmist says, no, no. God most high is also God most important. God is working out his purpose for glory, even being stuck in a cave, surrounded by people who want to kill you, surrounded by people who are lying about you, surrounded by people who attack and destroy not only your body, but your reputation. And of course, for Christ, the analogy is exactly the same. Psalm 22 from verses 12 to 21, many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me, roaring lions that tear their prey, open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. O oh Lord, be not far from me. Rescue me from the mouths of lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. Challenged by man's enmity. Isn't it strange? We live in a culture where people say, I don't like the church, but I do like Jesus. And do you know what I want to say? You liars. You don't like Jesus. You'd crucify Jesus. Humans always have. You're lying. You don't like Jesus. You like a Disney image of Jesus. You don't like the Jesus on the cross. You don't like the Jesus who gives himself for his people. He's surrounded by dogs, surrounded by lions. Go to the Islamic state just now of ISIS. And by the way, please, please pray for the Muslims of Dundee. It's Ramadan, end of Ramadan today. Our street, they're preparing a big party. And I mean pray for them. I don't, I don't mean hate them. I don't mean despise them. That would be completely wrong. I mean pray for them that in their zeal for those who are zealous Muslims, that they would come to see that mercy and love is found in Jesus Christ, not in Mohammed. Pray. But if you're right now, if you were in the Islamic State and you saw the cruelty, the beheadings, the forced mutilation, in a way, you'd be going back to what happened at the cross. You'd say, how can human beings be like that? How could human beings rejoice in such things? Human beings can. It's happened throughout human history. It continues to happen today. Jesus was 
challenged, if you like, or experienced the enmity, not only of the devil, but of human beings. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. Confidence in God's mercy, challenged by man's enmity. Confidence again, this time in God's justice. Evil will be its own downfall. Psalm 35 verse 7, since they hid their net from me without cause and without cause dug a pit for me, may ruin overtake them by surprise. May the net they hid entangle them. May they fall into the pit to their ruin. Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord and delight in his salvation. And this is very important for us to grasp. When immediate circumstances or foreseeable circumstances are the heart of the soul, we need to rise above the clouds and to see that God has a bigger purpose and a bigger picture and a bigger plan. God's plan works. The progress of evil will always be halted. He is the God who vindicates. He is the God who is above the heavens and the earth. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Nothing is out with His control. That's why, why when I hear people shake their fist at God, call God's people names, although that causes hurt and although that causes discouragement and oppression, when you step back and look at the bigger picture, you look at them and you say, well, may God have mercy on you. Do you know what you are doing? You have no idea. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Nothing takes God by surprise. Nothing is out with his control. The sheer arrogance of people who say, well, we passed the God stage. We're beyond that now. Nothing takes God unawares. And surely that was the same with Christ. Again, back in Psalm uh, 22, verses 3 to 10. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there's no one to help. How is it just? How is it fair that Christ died such a horrendous death? Because at the cross, it's where truth and mercy and justice and righteousness meet. In the words of the psalm, it's where they kiss. It's at the cross that God's mercy and God's judgment are brought together in a most wonderful way. And when you are in enormous trouble, that's where you go. You go to the cross and you say, Lord, nothing is beyond your understanding. These things that oppress me, these things that overwhelm me, these things that tire me, these things that weary me, you are above the heavens. You know, you understand, and you have dealt with this already at the cross. And that's why verses 7 to 11 are of praise. 
in the cave. My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples, for great is your love, reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. This is the fourth thing. The first is confidence in God's mercy. The second is being challenged by man's enmity. The third is confidence in God's justice. And the fourth is covered with God's praise. And I use the word covered not just so that I can get the alliteration, but because this is called a michtam. That's the title in the psalm. And there's a big dispute about uh, what it means. And you can ask, will trial about that. But in all my Hebrew knowledge, I'm going to go with this one. That it can, it, carry, it can carry the idea of covering. It's used in previous psalms in a similar way. And this is what David is doing. He's faced up to evil. He's stared evil in the face. He's been in the cave. He's been in the gloom. He's been in the depression. And he says this, I'm facing evil and I'm saying my heart is fixed. Now, think about it this way. You'd think it would be the opposite. You'd think that under these circumstances, this is the kind of thing that would cause you to doubt and to fear and to be discouraged and to waver and to give up. But he says, my heart is fixed, it's calm, it's firm, it's resolute, it's happy, it's sure. Some of you will have been in the BBs, the boys' brigade. I lasted a week in it, but I do remember the song, uh, we have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll, fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. If the central axle is secure, the whole wheel is right. David's heart is fixed, and it means that he can cope with the horrendous circumstances around him. He says, I take up the harp and lyre. Now, it's a metaphor, and I'll tell you why it's a metaphor. Not because we don't like harps and lyres. It's because if you read the story, David even forgot his sword. He was such a rush to get away that he forgot his sword. Do you honestly think that he was saying, I'll leave the sword, let me get my guitar. Uh, if he was called David Henderson, he might have done that. But not David. You know, he's in a battle. The last thing he's going to really be looking for is his harp and lyre. But he's in this cave without his instruments. And he's saying, I'm still going to praise God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing. I can face the new days with praise. Look at the end of verse 6. Isn't this amazing? They've dug a pit. They've fallen into, sorry, verse 7. Um, Actually, no. I was thinking about music. Verse 8. I will awaken the dawn. Now, why is that amazing? It's just a phrase you just pass by. It's wonderful poetry. He doesn't wake up to a new day dawning. He's not lying in the cave and suddenly the sun starts rising. He goes, wow, this is beautiful. I can trust in God. He's in the cave when it's dark and depressing and he says, I'm going to stand up. I'm going to praise God and I'm going to awaken the dawn. It's an incredibly beautiful and poetic image. Because why does he do this? Because he sees it's not just about him. He says, I will sing of God amongst the peoples. He's in a cave. He's a refugee. He's on his own. He's being hunted. And he says, I will praise him among the peoples. Now, maybe he sang that when he was in the temple, surrounded by friends. Maybe, uh, not in the temple, in, back in Jerusalem. The temple hadn't been built yet. Maybe he did sing that. I don't know. But we know that he sang it here. And why? 
because he realized it wasn't about him. It was God's great purposes being fulfilled, not just for him, but for the whole world. Too many of us think this is about God's purpose for me. It's about me. It's about me. It's about me. But it's not. It's about God who is exalted. And God's love and faithfulness in verse 10. Great is your love reaching to the heavens, your faithfulness reaching to the skies. It's worked out in David's life. I just love that whole idea that being faced with oppression, being faced with depression, being faced with discouragement, that we awaken the dawn by praising God. You and I want to see a dawn of a renewed church in Scotland. We're discouraged by so many things. What is our answer? Our answer is to pray, and our answer is to praise. We don't just wait until we see all the answers before we start praising. God is still in His heavens. God is still true. God is still faithful. And in the midst of the most adverse circumstances, though He slay me, yet I will trust Him. And though they abuse and mock, yet I will praise. I will waken the dawn. Speaking of that, the title of this psalm, I've got so much more I'd want to say, but I'm going to leave it. Um, But the title of the psalm is to the tune of Do Not Destroy, which is just such a great tune. And I'll say more about that next, um, next time we look at the Psalms because uh, Psalm 58 is also to the tune of Do Not Destroy. He obviously quite liked the tune. And those of you who complain about repetitive tunes, get biblical. That's okay. Um, this is what the Lord says, Isaiah 65. As when juice is still found in a cluster of grapes and men say don't destroy it, yet there is yet some good in it. So will I do on behalf of my servants. I will not destroy them all. Deuteronomy 9.26, I prayed to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, do not destroy your people, your own inheritance that you redeemed by your great power and brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Here is the confidence that you must have at all times that God's people will not be destroyed. No, not by Islamic radicalists chopping off heads in Iraq not by secular militants in Scotland or the UK, not by atheism, not by the devil, and not by God. God does not destroy his own people. And I go back to Psalm 22 and Christ on the cross. It ends in a strange way from many people. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. In verse 22, I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. He has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry from help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. And so on. The poor will eat and be satisfied. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Posterity will serve him. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Jesus' last word on the cross were these last words of the psalm. It's done. It's finished. He's done it. Monty Python had a song about the cross, Always Look on the Bright Side of Life. A cheery wee ditty that was deliberately intended to mock and to blaspheme. It makes light of crucifixion and it shows the typical attitude of our culture. You cope with life by having a laugh. Who cares? Let's just have a laugh. But actually, there's a wee bit of truth in what Python did. The cross is actually a reason 
to celebrate and does bring brightness. The cross actually leads to the defeat of evil and of the devil. The cross leads to praise. All the ends of the earth will bow down and worship. He will see, I love the old AV version, he will see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. Jesus on the cross said, my work is done. It's finished. And the rest of history has been the ingathering of the work of the cross. And Jesus rejoices at every person who believes because he says, that's my work. I died for them. They're mine. The cross is horrendous, but it leads to music and to singing and to praise. Not light-hearted, trivial blasphemy, but the praise of the Lamb who sits on the throne, the one who died and is now alive. And it's a miktam, it's a covering, because the cross covers our sin, it's our atonement. And that's why we can cover our lives with prayer and with praise, because our sin has been covered. That's what we celebrate in the communion. And I say to those of you who are Christians, whatever your circumstances, prayer and praise are the keys to your life. Sometimes, you know, I've gone through this, you've gone through this, you think, I just, you know, I'm just so weary, I'm so discouraged, I'm so cynical, I'm so beat up, I'm so bruised, I'm so battered, I don't want to go near church. And it's the lie of the devil because he wants to keep you away from the hospital, if you like. Because you come in, and although you don't want to talk to anyone, and although there's so much anger and stuff inside you, as you're praising God, or as people around you are praising God, burdens are lifted at Calvary. And as you're praying, and as you're sharing, a different perspective comes in. And that's what I I want to encourage in you. The har may be over your life, but the sun is over the har. Praise him, pray to him, and you will see that it will disperse and there will come days of great brightness and great glory. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.